Good morning. It is great to be with you. I, I know I, people say that all the time to you, and maybe you hear it from me, but I would admit to you it's extra special for me. You know, usually when pastors leave a church and go on to something else or uh, their time is over, they don't get to stay at the church because they're usually more trouble than they're worth, okay? And uh, most of the time we have to leave. And one of the greatest blessings in my life, and I don't say that lightly, is I still get to go to church here and uh, be a part of what God's doing. I'm so excited about what God's doing through Fielder in these days. And I, I'm, I'm the biggest fan in the world. And the fact I get to go to church every week with my friends, a lot of my pastor buddies don't get to do that. And so thank you for letting me be a part of this. And Jason, thank you for letting me be a part of what God's doing here. It reminds me of when I pastored my very first church. Uh, you may not know this. I, my first pastorate was in L.A., you know, know where L.A. is? It's Laverne, Oklahoma, okay? Uh, bulging metropolis of 1,200 people out towards the Panhandle, a, a great place. And I'd been in ministry and youth ministry at that point and, and uh, moved to that place to do ministry. And I, I determined that there were going to be two things that I would be about from the very, very beginning because I wanted this church to be different. First of all, I knew how important it was for me to learn names. And so I read this book about how you remember people's names by name association. You associate their name with something and it would help you remember them. And so the very first week, this lady walks out and she said, Pastor, good for you to be here. My name is Mrs. Covey. Okay. And Mrs. Covey walked out the door and went, well, the very next week she's coming out again and she looks at me and she, Pastor, great, great for you to be here, be with you here today. And I said, it's good to be with you, Mrs. Bird. All right. And some of you are going to get that in a minute. A Covey is a bird. All right. And uh, she didn't like me much. Okay. Uh, while I was there, I did learn her name was Mrs. Covey. But the second thing that I wanted more than anything is I wanted to see the church energized. I observed in the American church today that 80% of the people are letting the 20% do it, and the church mainly thinks it's supposed to be spectators. So I think, you know, I'm gonna, it's going to be different because all they need is a couple of my good sermons, and they will change how they live and how they act. And so very early, I put together this sermon series in which we were going to talk about getting the people of God into the neighborhoods, and, and Harper County and Laverne, Oklahoma, 1,200 people, we were going to transform that place, and the people were going to be out witnessing to their neighbors and coworkers and everything, and I just thought everybody would be doing that. Well, after that preaching, I went to deacons meeting. Now, you got to know in that church, there were seven deacons. By the way, uh, it's kind of odd. I was thinking about it. I can still name those seven guys, and they're friends of mine for the most part, and uh, so some good guys. And so we, we were in deacons meeting, and it's in my office. I'm behind my desk, and I look across at these seven great men, great, great men. And I said, okay, guys, you've heard this sermon series, and I said, it is so important that the deacons lead out in this. And so I want to talk about what we're going to do and what you're going to do to go reach your neighbors and coworkers and all those kind of things for Christ. And let's talk about how we're going to lead. Well, I want you to know it got real quiet in there. All right. Kind of like deer staring into headlights. Now, I remember one of the guys and this is the way they talked in that church. They said, preacher. That's what they said. They call you a preacher. They said, preacher, you need to know something. That's why we hired you. 
And we want you to know that's your job. And we're just here to support you in that job. And whatever you need, you let us know to do what you need to do. I'll never forget, I went home from that place so discouraged. And, And I would admit to you that in these 150 years of ministry that I've had in different churches, that I've found that attitude very pervasive. That there is the feeling as though we hire a team to do this. And the, the, the army stays in the barracks while the generals go out and fight the wars. And we have lost the idea of what Jesus was trying to do to get all of us involved in ministry. And it's had some significant ramifications. First of all, that means that we, when we do that, we're living in disobedience because God's called us to do that. But second of all, it has so limited the impact of the church. Because in reality, when you just do it with the hired hitters, and that's all you have, you can't influence the world with that. What God wants to do is to take the eight or 10,000 members of this church and send them out every week to be missionaries and to make a difference in the world. We've not had much impact because of that. But let me tell you what mainly has happened. Is the average person who attends church has not ever experienced the great joy of helping someone come to faith in Jesus Christ. That one of the richest experiences in life One of the richest experiences in life is involving your life in someone that gets transformed for eternity and that our worship then every Sunday morning would show up celebrating what God's done during the week. And I would admit to you, the average church member just doesn't get to experience that. Guess what it's also done to us minister types is we have decided many times it's our job. We go about it like a J-O-B job. And all of us have forgotten that what we're supposed to be about is what we've been speaking about for these weeks during this sermon series. That the reason why we go do what Jesus did is because Jesus is living within us. And we should be living out his character in his life. And everything about his ministry should be about our ministry. And the reason why we're studying all this is not just so we can know about Jesus. It's so we can know what God wants you and me to do. And so during this sermon today, we're going to look at two or three things that he did. And turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter number nine, Matthew chapter nine. This passage is what I would call in the Bible a summary passage. It doesn't have a specific place or people or whatever. It is them summarizing what Jesus is doing in this particular situation. And by the way, I would encourage you sometime to take an overview, and we're reading through the book of Matthew during this time, and, and Mark, as we read together as a church, this is really a turning point in the church. If you were to go to chapter number 10, you'll see Jesus is sending them out, and what he has done is he's called them to be by his side. He has discipled them, but you know what he's doing? He's sending them out. He said, I'm sending you out as sheep amongst the wolves. That's what happens in chapter number 10. Look, if you would, at the end of chapter 9, verse number 35, you're going to see three things in this text that Jesus did that summarized his life. And by the way, it should be the summary of our lives as well. Verse number 35, and Jesus went throughout the cities and villages. Number one, teaching in their synagogues. And number two, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And number three, healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. They were harassed, helpless, sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, this harvest is plentiful, but my goodness, the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to do what? To get us in church, to get us to do more money, more service? No, 
Pray that the God of the harvest will send out people, laborers, into the harvest field. He's talking about you and me right there. So what you see in this text are three things. Now, let's unpack those for just a few minutes, if we could. The first thing he talked about was teaching, but he identified it in the synagogue. And we say, okay, I'm off on that one. We don't have many synagogues around here, and so I don't have to do that. No, it's not he's saying right here that his only teaching was in the synagogue, but that's what he did in his ministry. When he would go into a town, he would go immediately to the synagogue. That's what he would do. And in the synagogue, they had an order of worship, much like we have. They would, they would have a prayer. They would have a song. They would read from the prophets. They would read from the Torah. And then someone would get up and do what I'm doing today. They would expound upon what they have just heard. Now, I want you to know that's the, uh, one part of Jesus' teaching. But that's not the whole picture. You see, in the Greek world, in the Greek world, when you talked about teaching, you talked about a formal person standing in front of a group of people teaching. But this text is much, much, much more than that. And the Jewish world is the one that brought that out. If we had time this morning, we'd go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, where it describes this teaching and what we're supposed to do. It says you're to hide God's word within your heart and write your commandments on the forehead. You're just supposed to put them on the lentils or the doorpost of your house. But it also says you are to be teaching your children and the people around you as you walk along the way. Now, catch that for just a bit. The teaching is not just a formal person standing in front of someone. It is the actuality of teaching life. Now, listen to what that means to you and me. Is that every one of us have teaching opportunities. God has given you a family. He's given you a workplace. He's given you a school. He's given you a situation in which you can live in. And, and in the middle of all that, what he says to you and me that that's your teaching venue. And what we're to be doing as we walk along the way, we're to be teaching about the things of Jesus. You say, wait a minute, Gary. I'm not a Bible scholar. I, I, I can't find Hezekiah in the Bible. I, I don't know what you're talking about when you, when you mention those kinds of things. Well, what Jesus is saying right here, he's just calling us to teach others what God has taught us. Don't have to be a Bible scholar. One of the reasons why we should be constantly ingesting the Word of God is not only to strengthen us in the Word of God, but so that we can teach it to others. And so every person in this room this week will be a teacher. And you'll have the opportunity to teach the things of God to the people around you. But then the second thing, he says we are to be proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Uh, two words jump off the page. The first one is that word proclaiming. Again, what we oftentimes think in terms of, well, that's what the preacher does. That's why, that's why that deacon in that church said, well, preacher, you're the one supposed to be doing That's why we pay you. You're the one supposed to be standing up every week and giving everybody a, a sermon. And certainly, certainly Jesus taught the crowds as he had great audiences in which he could teach. But that proclaiming is a word that's much, much bigger than that. That word proclaiming right there in that culture was what is known as a heralder. It was possibly was known in a city as the town crier. It would be the person that would be the herald of what was coming if there was a, a big event happening. There would be the town proclaimer, the town herald, and he would walk through the streets and say, there's coming, there's coming, there's coming this, and he would be the proclaimer of what was coming. 
it was something that would happen when a general would win a great battle. And that general would be coming back from that battle. And he would be going through the cities. What would the herald do? He would know that that general is coming. And he would walk through the streets of the city and saying, General so-and-so who conquered this is coming. And the people were to respond to that. And they were together in great crowds. And when he would come through with his chariot, because the herald had told him it was coming, they would all cheer and they would all respond to that. Well, that's what Jesus is talking about here. Is that you and I are to be heralds of the kingdom of God. And where are we supposed to do that herald? Now, sometimes it is on a platform. But mainly, it is where we live every day. Wherever you go to school, wherever you may work, wherever you may live, whatever neighborhood you may be in, that you're the person that is to be the herald. You say, Gary, does that mean I get a bullhorn, walk down my street and start screaming? No, it's not talking about it like that. It's just saying today that you and I have neighbors and friends that need to know about the kingdom of God. And we can say, watch it on television, see it online like people do every week within our church, and, and they can do it like that, or, or we can invite them to church. But that's not what God wants to do. God wants to do something greater than that. Out of this worship service today, He wants to send you and me into our neighborhoods and to become heralds of what? The gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, church, let's just take this word gospel. The word gospel, as you know in the Bible, means good news. Let me ask you this. Have you heard much good news lately? I want you to know, you turn on any newscast, you turn on anything going on, sportscast, and all they talk about is bad news, bad news, bad news, bad news, bad news. And, and you get with your friends. And they talk negatively. You know, can you believe what's going on in this world today? Can you believe what they're doing in Washington, D.C.? And, and everything is negative and everything is bad news. But let me say something to you. Could there ever have been a better time to stop the conversation and say, yeah, you know, that is bad news. But let me tell you some good news. There was a man by the name of Jesus came to this earth. Son of God, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life. And he did something that was miraculous. He went to a cross. There on that cross, he died. And when he died, he died for my sins and yours. And today, I'm forgiven because I know that Jesus, he rose from the dead and, and he's alive today. And he wants to come live within your life and my life. And he has changed my life and he has changed my soul and he's changed my eternity. I want you to know, I've got some good news about what's going on right now. And I'm convinced this may be the greatest opportunity we may have ever had in this generation to go down our streets, not with a bullhorn, but to walk into the middle of our world and say to our world, hey, there's some good news. And that good news is the gospel of Jesus Christ. But then also in this text, Jesus did something that to be candid with you in the average church today, we're a little bit uncomfortable with. We kind of think it's for another generation. Look at this next part of the text. It said he went about healing, now very important word, healing every disease and healing every affliction. Now, some people ask times in theological circles, why didn't Jesus just come to this earth, live a sinless life, teach a few people about a few things, and then go to the cross, rise from the dead? Why did he do all this healing? Have you ever asked that question? 
You certainly say it's because he loved people and he wanted to help them. But what was going on in the bigger picture of Jesus healing withered hands and raising people, bringing them back from the dead and, and, and all those miraculous things he did? Do, do you think he was just doing that so he could gather a crowd, so he could take an offering and have a place to live? Okay, uh, No, he wasn't. Let me tell you what he was doing. He was telling us something about this creation. Because in reality, this creation is where it is today because of one thing. That's the sin of humanity. They're in the Garden of Eden. They didn't have disease. They didn't have the problems. They didn't have mental illness. They didn't have broken relationships. They were right with the world. They were right with God. They were right with each other. When sin entered in, Satan used that to bring a curse upon mankind. And since the Garden of Eden, all of this sickness and disease we have is a result of one thing. It is the result of sin. And Satan has won that battle in bringing disease on our world. So when Jesus came to this earth, guess what he was doing? He was confronting Satan on his own turf. He was walking into the eyes of someone like Bartimaeus who was blind, knowing that that blindness was the result of of sin in this world, and that's what brings that to someone's life. And what did he do in bringing Bartimaeus to this place where Bartimaeus can heal, uh, uh, see once again? He's getting Bartimaeus to know and everyone to understand, I have power over that. And that sin is part of the cosmic battle of Satan, what he did with people. And the reason why in this text it says every time, is every time Jesus confronted it, listen to this, he won the battle. He wasn't 99 and 1. He wasn't 80, 98 and 2. He didn't just win a few here and win a few there. 100% of the time, Jesus confronted sickness and disease, and Jesus won the battle. And those people were healed. And what he was doing with that experience is he was showing the world, I not only have an eternity for you where this doesn't exist. Now listen to this. But I can get in the middle of this life and show you my power over sin, but also show you my power over sickness and disease. Do you know what that means to you and me? That means to you and me today, when we walk out of this place, we live around a lot of broken people because we're broken people. We live around a lot of folks that mentally and spiritually and physically are messed up. Now, you know what we can do is we can keep that at arm's length and say, ooh, that's messy. I want to get in the middle of that. I don't understand all this stuff about healing. And, you know, I'd just rather come to church and sing with Reggie, okay? And amen, Jason, and do a few things around the community. But this getting in the middle of broken, sick lives is something I'm not real comfortable with. And what we can do is push it at arm's length. Now, guess what God says? No. If I've put you, if I've put you in a place where a person needs healing, Mentally, spiritually, physically. I hadn't done that so you'd walk away. I've done that because I want you to be an agent of healing within their life. I want you, listen to this. I want you to be an agent of miraculous healing in their life. Now you say, whoa, Gary, where are you going with that? Well, I'm going with that someplace here in just a few minutes, okay? But let's just stop for a minute and draw a little line, if we could, in this sermon. Be easy this morning. My goodness, we could get out a little bit early. And everyone loves the preacher when he preaches short sermons, okay? And we could be done right now, and we could say, yeah, we ought to be doing that. But let's ask each other the question for just a moment. 
Would you just give me your eyes for a second? Have you ever wondered why we're not doing those three things? Well, Gary, I don't know how to do it. Or Gary, I, you know, I need a class. I don't know enough of the Bible. Okay? But have you ever asked the question, why do us minister types treat it like a job? Why does the average person just want to come to church and be a spectator and watch it happen and they go find them a church that sings it and preaches it like they want and they very comfortably sit in the middle of all that? Have you ever wondered why that when it talks about Jesus went about teaching, preaching, and healing, that only 6%, they say in the American church, 6% of the people in their lifetime ever participate in someone coming to faith in Christ? Well, I want you to know the answer for you and me is found in this text. It is that verse that is so important, verse number 30, uh, 36. When he, that's Jesus, circled the word saw, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Because why? They were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Do you know what the difference between Jesus and Gary is? Do you know what the difference between Jesus and the average person is the fact he saw people as they really were. We see them as neighbors, classmates, people on our teams, people that we work with to get a job done, family members we're trying to make things happen. We, we see all this outside stuff. What did Jesus do? Jesus looked in the heart, and he saw people as they really were. And it says in this text, he had compassion. By the way, that's not a great translation in this text. As you read the word and what it really means, it speaks of something that comes out of the soul of something. Now listen to this. And causes them to do something about it. Really, the better translation, he was moved with compassion. Therefore, he got in the middle of people's lives. I'm convinced it's because I know so much about me. And also, I know quite a bit about what happens in the church. We don't need another class. We don't need another sermon. What we really need is to see people like Jesus sees them. person at school that's having trouble on drugs and immoral and going all kinds of things. Do, have we ever said, Lord, what do you want to say to me about that person? Or that person who works for us or works with us? Or that person in the neighborhood that gets on our nerves and, and you know, something with their dog barks and all kinds of things happen and we're mad because have we stepped back and said, my goodness, in reality, the reason why this world acts the way it acts is because it's harassed, being beat up all the time, helpless to do anything about it. Listen to that last phrase. Sheep without a shepherd. You ever wonder why they do what they do in Washington, D.C. that doesn't make any sense? It isn't about the party in charge. It's about the fact. It's a city full of people who are sheep without a shepherd. And they don't know what to do. And they keep doing stupid things. Because they don't have any direction. But guess what? It's not just Washington, D.C. 
It's our neighborhood, our school, our family, our world. And the reason why Jesus did what I didn't do is he was willing to step back from what I was, how I live for myself and really look into the soul of people around him. And when he began to do that, guess what? He had compassion. But more than having compassion, he was moved with compassion. That's why he says in this text, these, these, what we need right now, what we need right now is not another sermon. We need some more laborers. That verse, the harvest, it's plentiful. But the laborers are so few. Therefore, do what? Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into that harvest field. I, I, as I look at that phrase, I remember when I moved to northwest Oklahoma. The one thing, I, a lot of things I didn't know a lot about, but I didn't know anything about farming. And I was intrigued by wheat harvest. These guys had planted in late summer, early fall, put cattle on, they called it wheat pasture, and they'd feed cattle on it all through the winter, and it was green when everything else was brown. But then they'd take them off in the spring and let that wheat grow up and mature. And one of the most exciting times in Laverne, Oklahoma, was those moments in May and June when they were getting ready for the harvest. Those guys were uptight like crazy. Why? Because they were testing every day the moisture content, where it was going, what was happening right there. Because they knew the harvest would only have a moment in which they could harvest. They could be stopped by a hailstorm or a disease or some big thunderstorm that would ruin the entire crop. Oh, that moment. I think we're in one of those moments when God's at work in the world around us and the brokenness we see, the helplessness we see, the anger that we see is because God's not there. If there's ever a time to proclaim and to teach and to heal, it's right now. What God needs are laborers. Now, listen to this. Not laborers who do it because of a sermon. But laborers who do it because of a heart. A heart moved with compassion. In fact, I, I love what it says in, about this in the book of Romans. It says it like this. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then they call upon him whom they have not believed. And how are they to believe in him whom they've never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless someone is sent? It is written how beautiful it is on the feet of those who proclaim the good news. My goodness. God needs his army, his laborers to get in the battle. Let me ask you. When was the last time God moved you with compassion for the brokenness of someone who's around you? Moved you within your soul? Caused you to love and to give as never before? Because you saw them as Jesus saw them. I want you to know if there's anything the church needs today, it's not another sermon. It's the heart and the character of Jesus that sees the world around us just like Jesus sees it. And I'm praying today that as we leave this place in just a few minutes, we know we're sent to see people as Jesus sees them, but also to be moved with compassion for that. But then one other thing, I'll conclude. 
I told you we would look at this issue of healing, okay? I want you to know it may be one of the areas of Scripture that is the most abused, as you know. All kinds of people have taken this idea of Jesus' healing and made a living out of it and abused this. But you know what it's done for us in the church? We're scared to death to get into the miraculous aspect of God doing healing in our people. Now, by the way, Lee Strober just wrote a book called The Case for Miracles in which he documents that all over the Africa today in the Middle East where people are broken and the church is being such persecuted, there's incredible miracles happening. Document of people who are blind who see, people who are lame who walk, people who are demon-possessed being set free. Do you know the one part of the world in which it's not happening? United States of America. You know why? We got so many other resources. God's only one of our little tools in the toolbox. So what happens to us in the American church, and I'm guilty right here, is we get afraid of going before God and asking God to miraculously Heal someone spiritually, mentally, listen to this, physically. As if that's for somewhere else. As if that's for another time. Now, I want you to know, I don't understand everything there is at all about healing. Because there's been times I've prayed and they haven't been healed. Now, by the way, our small group has a miracle walking around in it of someone within our group. We anointed with oil and we prayed for them and cancer's gone. God's done a miracle. But I want you to know, as you look at this, you begin to say, okay, this is a little scary. And I'll be honest with you, it's been abused so much it can be scary. But are we going to let fear keep us from seeing what God wants to do in people's lives? I'm reminded of, of what happened with, with the Apostle Peter. I mean, you're talking about a guy who was a brain-dead idiot before he was an apostle, okay? Just a Galilean fisherman. And God changes his life. And Acts chapter 5 says, So even they carried out the sick in the streets, and laid them on cots and mats as, that, as Peter came. At least his shadow might fall on some of them. And the people were gathered from towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted of unclean spirits, and they were healed because of the power of God. They were healed. He said, well, Gary, that's, that's another time. Okay, that, that, that's another day. Let me read you the words of Jesus himself. John chapter number 14. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works, oh no, that I do. What did he do? Heal, heal, proclaim, taught. He saw miraculous things. Look at this. And greater works than those he will do because I'm going to the Father. That's not a promise for the first century church alone. That is God speaking to his church. To say, you may not know all there is to know about this healing business, but don't let that run you off. Because I want to do something that when the world looks at it, they will say, whoa, whoa. That's not because Fielder's got a lot of money and a great preacher in Jason and all this other stuff. That's the power of God. 
And God's done it. And the only one that can get glory is God himself. You say, well, Gary, what do we do with that? You know, I've heard of healing lines and I've heard of all these other kind of things. And, And I want you to know, there lots of ways people go about this differently. All, all I know to do is just read the Scripture and do what the Scripture says. James chapter 5. Is any among you, any, anyone suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Praise God. Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Ho oh, ho, here it is. Any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. The Lord will raise him up. If he's committed sins, they'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another. Look at this. That you may be healed. For the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. When we begin to look at this text as a teaching team under Jason's leadership, we realize this text was talking to this moment about whether we really did believe that someone that we prayed over confessed their sins, anointed with oil, and by faith they could be healed. Now, again, I don't know why Some place, not another place. We're not going to answer that. All we're going to simply do is do what God's called us to do. Okay? So today, we're going to end this service dramatically different than we usually do. It's the reason we had the Lord's Supper a little bit earlier. What's going to happen right now, and I'd like for them to come, is the elders of our church are going to come forward. The elders would. Those are the men who are the people that God has set aside, elders in the church, Jim, uh, others of the men will come today. Okay? These are what are known in the Bible as the elders of the church. Okay? What we're going to do in this service today is in a moment I'm going to pray. Okay? Make sure you get the instructions. And I'm going to say you are sent. And what I'd like to ask you to do as you leave this place today, don't talk. Fellowship. Move out of here very quietly, if you would. But if you are here today, give me your eyes. If you are here today and you need healing from God, you know it. You needed healing spiritually. You need healing emotionally. You need healing mentally. Yes. And you need healing physically. We're going to say to you, as everyone else leaves, you come. What we have is we have some oil. Say, where'd you get this? I've got some at my house from Jerusalem, but it it isn't that stuff. We got this at the bookstore because there's nothing in the oil. The power's in God. And what we're going to do is pray with you, ask you to do some confession, Take that oil, put a cross on your forehead. Why? Because we believe all healing happens under the cross. And we're going to ask God, because the oil represents his healing power and represents his Holy Spirit. 
We're going to ask God for you to be healed. In our last service, probably Jim maybe has 20% of the room in this crowd. I was 15 minutes late getting here today because of what God did in that movie. What God did. And God wants to do that in here today. He wants to do a miracle that when everyone's finished, they won't talk about Gary or Jason or Fielder. You know what they'll do? They'll talk about a healing God who has the power to heal. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to pray. 